0: You're listening to Life Repurposed with Michelle Rayburn, where you'll find uplifting and practical advice for everyday living, creative inspiration for do-it-yourself projects, and recommendations for books and resources that will encourage you to embrace your life repurposed. I'm your host, Michelle Rayburn. Hello there. Thank you so much for joining me for episode number 107 of Life Repurposed. Today, I have a guest, and I want to tell you a little bit about her before we jump into that interview. A misguided search for love and acceptance lured Maureen Hager into the life of an outlaw motorcycle gang. Caught up in a violent gang war, she sustained two gunshot wounds when a rival gang opened fire on their clubhouse with M16 rifles. Sounds exciting, doesn't it? Well, while severely wounded, This act of violence was a catalyst for God to work in Maureen's life, and it gave her a way of escaping from captivity. So she got out of that gang. But after suffering physical, emotional, and spiritual trauma, she heard the gospel and accepted Christ, and this began her road to recovery. And so she's going to tell her story today. She's also the author of a book called Love's Bullet, where she tells her story, and she has a chapter in the Life Repurposed book, And you can find that in the show notes at MichelleRayburn.com slash 107. Now, without further ado, here's my interview with Maureen. Maureen, thank you so much for joining me today to talk about your chapter in the Life Repurpose book, but also to tell us more about your story, which is an incredible story. Well, thank you. I, I love being here, Michelle. So I met you, I don't know, a long time ago, maybe through a writer's group. Where is that where so. we first met? Mm-hmm. Have we ever met in person? No. Okay. Because no. I was trying to think, have we been at a writer's conference together? No. Okay. No. We're going to have to make that happen sometime. Yeah, I would love that. <laughs> if we were at a coffee shop today, sitting down and having a conversation, I'm a little nosy. I just want to know, what did you order? <laughs>
1: Um, I would order um a coffee with a uh, a vegan creamer and probably a scone.
0: Oh, I haven't had a scone in a long time. I've been gluten-free scone. for about 4 years, so that's probably how long it's been since I've had a a good scone. The gluten-free ones are not great. No. No. <laughs> not the same. Well, hopefully we can do that someday and meet up at a real coffee shop and sit down and talk. I would love that. There are some amazing parts of your story. And I was trying to think like, where do I want to go back to and asking Maureen about her story? Because you have an incredible story that you tell in your book, and we're going to talk about that at the end of this episode. But I want you to tell me how you got to a place in your early 20s where you got connected with the wrong people. What brought you to a point where you got connected with the wrong people?
1: Well, I think that we all look for love and we all need love. And I was in a place where I didn't have that. My mother, um, had left us, came out, we came home from school, my brother, sister, and I, and, uh, she was gone. All her stuff was gone. And my dad said, uh, that she had left and she was not coming back and she had never mentioned that to us and so that like left this hole in my heart mm-hmm. um of despair and loneliness that you know she would just leave us and so you know basically my dad took care of us and um so that that was something that never left me and so i i was on a quest to belong somewhere mm-hmm. and um a friend i i had met at work um told me about her boyfriend who was in this gang and so one night i i came along with her and that's where i met vigo and um You know, I just was captivated because they told me, uh, you know, I would be their part of their family and all all of these people would be my brothers and sisters. And I was so vulnerable. I didn't really know anything about a gang. So, yeah,
0: I was all in. (laughs) So when people meet you, how many people are surprised when you tell them you were once part of a gang? I'd
1: probably
0: say 100%. <laughs> yeah, because you just don't exude the vibes of former gang member. <laughs> well, I'm not that person anymore. Yes, Thank that's what's wonderful. Yeah, that's the whole repurposing that God does. Yeah. So what was it, you know, we'll, we won't get into all of the details of being part of the gang because, one, you tell that in your book, and I want people to read your full story because I feel like the whole story, the big picture is so important, But tell me a little bit about the struggles that you went through once you you thought you found you belonged there. And then when did you realize you didn't really belong there? Well, um,
1: I started seeing things I wish I had never seen. Mm. Um, You know, when you're in a gang, a woman is like a second class citizen. And see, that attracted me because I thought, oh, you know, I'll be all taken care of and and all, um, but that's not the case. You're, you're actually someone's property mm-hmm. and what they tell you to do, you better do because, you know, you could get a beating or, I mean, it's just crazy. So, um, so I started to say, you know this is not for me, but I, you know, I couldn't just walk away. It, yeah. it's, it's like a prison almost, you know, you, you just don't have any of your old friends, any of your, um, family not that I really did anyway but you're all just separated inside the gang and I started to feel like I wanted to leave I mean I really was focusing I'm gonna do it you know and um so well you know I had the unexpected uh turn that uh I was able to leave uh when i got shot so that's why my book is called love's bullet because yeah. it was because of the god's love and him keeping me alive and watching over me um that got that got me out
0: yeah so you talk about it sort of casually like when i got shot when you said that and i thought whoa let's back up there <laughs> so <laughs> So middle of the night, you, there was a raid?
1: Well, um, we were we were um, visiting uh, in Texas and had only been at this clubhouse for a few days. But as soon as we got there, I knew there was a war going on between mm. these two gangs. You know, they're very protective of their terror. Mm. And um, so... Uh, it's, it's amazing to me <laughs> what they do to protect that territory. And so sure enough, late one night, um, it was like early morning hours, um, unbeknown to us, we had uh, a couple guys out front uh, of the house uh, with M16 rifles.
0: Hmm.
1: And I was in the front room and I we were told because of the um the uh gang um thing that we were don't put a light on at night, don't do that. Well, so I went in to look for a match, and when I couldn't find one, I flipped the light on for just what mm-hmm. i thought was gonna be a second, and of course, that's when the shooting started. Wow. Um, but um. You know, my light—the light switch was over to my right, and I used—makes no sense. I may use my left arm, that covered my heart, and turn the light on. You know, that's a God thing because there'd be no way I would do that. Um, But that's what protected me because they were aiming for my heart. And of course, my arm is all blown up, but I'm still here.
0: One of the parts of your stories that really gripped me when I read your book was, and I know like in the chapter in Life Repurposed, you only tell a little bit so you're not able to really get into that full story, but the idea of lying in a hospital room for months Mm -hmm. on end by yourself, I thought about that and I wondered like what went through your mind during that time?
1: You know, what what really got me while I was like halfway through the journey there was that in my quest to find love and acceptance, this is where it landed. In you know, all, and I was all alone. And, you know, if anyone is in the hospital, you need an advocate. You really do. And I didn't have one. So I'm relying on, you know, the nurses or the doctor. Um, once in a while, you know, a gang member would stop by to see me. But, you know, they weren't much of a help as far mm-hmm. as an advocate. Um, so I really, you know, got to thinking where I was, my future was so uncertain. I had no idea what was going to lay ahead for me. And, um, I knew I already knew because I wanted to leave the gang before. So I knew that that had to be front and center on Mm -hmm. my, I had to break the ties there. And, um, I mean, Vigo basically dropped me in the hospital and left me. And um, so uh, fortunately I had some wonderful nurses that uh, did did take care of me. Uh, and so, but yeah, that's that was a very hard time. And it was, I was in so much pain and uh, suffered so much with different procedures, all to try to get my uh, leg together. And, mm. Did and everything they tried, body cast traction. So, I um, you know, I finally had this surgery that uh, they kind of pulled my hip up and used or used a piece of my hip to connect my leg, but it left my leg two inches shorter. Uh, so you know, I, I still suffer from some of those consequences. But um I'm just very grateful for the Lord popping me out of this. <laughs> um, you know, the road to healing is is been long and um, you know, probably will have some uh manifestations of uh the trauma here and there. But um I'm just so grateful to him that he showed me a different life.
0: Yeah. So when I think about a repurposed life, it really is about that idea that we still have scars that remind us of mm-hmm. who we once were, but that isn't who we once were. It's like, it's just there. It's part of your story. It's part of uh, the, the evidence of healing that's gone on in your life. But I want to know, how did you take the next step then? You didn't really have a close family. So it wasn't like you left the gang and could go back to your family. So where did how did you move forward from that?
1: Well, I, in my distress, when I realized, um, you know, the surgeries had been over, and basically it was like, okay, th- we're just leaving you here now, and so um, I called my dad. He was the only one that I felt, you know, would would be responsive, and he came right away. I hadn't seen him in a very long time. And so he came and he got a had a station wagon and literally I laid in the back of the station wagon while he um, drove from Texas to New Jersey. Wow. Um, he had already arranged for uh, the hospital in New Jersey. So um, he took care of everything, which, you know, we didn't always have the greatest relationship. He didn't really, um, express his thoughts and feelings but he didn't need to do anything else as far as I was concerned from that point on he was my hero
0: yeah tell me a little bit about your faith journey so when you were a child did you have a relationship with Christ or did that come after you left Mm -hmm. the gang
1: no nothing I mean I believe I believe there was a God I always believed that but I didn't know him and, you know, I, I didn't think that much about him because I just kind of figured, well, what would he want with me? You know, church, righteous <laughs> people. And, you know, I just didn't see uh, where the fit would be. But um, boy, I learned that, you know, he doesn't ask us to change. He didn't say, you know, you got to clean up first. Right. He just opens up his arms and says, you know, come. And over time, you go through all those uh, different emotions, and and you learn. And he's a very merciful God, very loving.
0: What was your first step of faith then? Was it in the hospital yet? Did you start reading a Bible, or how did you take that next step?
1: Uh, Well, interestingly, I had some, um, I forget what you call them, nurse uh, technicians, that came in early. And of course it had the Gideon's Bible there. And so they wrote in the back some Psalms for me and they were like, really? You're gonna read these? <laughs> All right, I'll read them, but you know, what for? But I did read them. And I think that was the very first step uh, of me connecting uh, with the Bible. And so they would come in and we'd have little chats, you know, while they were working um, but when I got uh, got back uh, to my dad's house and I got settled in, I called um, I called a friend that I knew was kind of associated with the gang, but you know not so much into it as I was. And I called her and said, you know, I'm back. And she brought over a slew <laughs> of. Uh, Her youth group and came to see me. And that was surprised me because not only did I see a difference in her, but I really liked all these people that came. You know, they weren't judgmental, they didn't preach to me, they just came, said a prayer, you know, invited Mm -hmm. me to church. And I was really impressed by that. And so the next week, I went to church um and it was a baptismal service and you know I'm see, hearing all these testimonies of people like me you know <laughs> turn and uh and so I I got home that night actually I met uh a woman we're still friends today she's like my mentor and um she had got me a bible that night and as I went home and uh when I got settled in bed, I thought, you know, Lord, if you can do that for these people, could you do it for me? And I really didn't know if that was true or not, but of course it was. That's what he's waiting for is us to come to him. Um, and so, um, yeah, that night I gave my heart to the Lord. And then um, fortunately I had uh, a good group of friends from this church that really, I mean, I didn't know anything about the Bible. So they, they just kind of took me under their wing and walked me through it. And they were very happy for me. And um, of course, I didn't know at the time, but they had been praying for me for Mm. a while. So it was a, uh, it was a God thing.
0: Yeah. I love that part of your story that shows in a practical way, how your story can help somebody else. Someone else has helped you It wasn't about the preaching, it was about telling what God did in their life or showing it through what we call the testimony where they stood up and told their story. So for those listening, think about that, how you don't have to be a Bible scholar to help somebody understand what it means to have a relationship with Jesus. It's really about showing them what he did in your life, your before and after. So, Maureen, tell us what it's been like now since then. We're going to fast forward. What's God been doing in your life since you gave your life to Christ?
1: Well, um, I'm now married uh, to a godly man, and we have two grown daughters. And that's my family I always wanted, and so here I'm living it now. Um, and uh, I just, you know, I write articles stories I have a blog I have a book and you know I just uh find that in telling my story that people I my goal, goal is that they would find hope that mm-hmm. they're not too far gone because you know if anyone thinks that you're not going to be broken on some level that's not what the bible says <laughs> so um you know brokenness the lord was broken for us and he's called the man of sorrows and I, you know, I just feel like everything I ever gone through, that he has gone through it too. So mm-hmm. um, that that I like, but uh, yeah, my life is much much different. I do have some physical struggles, um, but I seem to be able to live with them mm-hmm. and the time I can manage them. So yeah, I'm
0: I'm living the life. <laughs> <laughs> For the woman who's struggling, wondering if anyone loves her and is on that precipice of taking the wrong step, what advice do you have? What words of hope do you have for her?
1: Well, you know, God loves you, you know, whether you believe that or not. that that's your sure footing is the Lord is there with you. Um I think you have to just know your boundaries you know i'm not gonna i'm not gonna go there um even when you're not sure what the next step is going to be um you know and it was not easy for me to just sever all my ties with the gang because they were my family for you yeah. so i was like who am i left with now but um you know god does put people in your path and um you know you cry out to him mm-hmm. he's uh he's there he's waiting with reaching out his hand he's waiting for you to come to him and um you know to me he's he's just the answer mm-hmm.
0: for those of us who have discovered hope in Christ who know what it's like to have that family in people you know it's like the people who believe in Jesus are like my other family. We're not biologically related, but they are family. This is a call for us to open our eyes and look mm-hmm. for the people in our life who are seeking hope, who are seeking love somewhere at work or in our social circles or in maybe our Facebook relationships with somebody mm-hmm. we knew 20 years ago in high school. There is somebody out there who's seeking that hope and love and we can we can reach out. Sometimes it's just a note saying, I thought of you today. What other ways, Maureen, do you reach out to people? Like, can you see the clues in somebody that says, yeah, this person is living like they're just seeking hope?
1: Oh, yeah. Um, I do some work. um, I'm an anti-sex trafficking advocate and um, I'm mentoring a girl now. And um, there's certain traits you know that you can see with somebody has low self-esteem, and I think that's really where it starts. And that person may not make eye contact. They may, you know, with their or heads down, and um, doesn't really want to talk about anything, mm-hmm. any of the past uh, things there. But yeah, and that's how traffickers that's that's how they grab their victims is they mm-hmm. can you know you can see someone that has a low self-esteem and uh, that's their prey and they'll just you know tell them what they want to hear and that's it they're like a prisoner there so um but I I love kindness I didn't feel that I had a lot of kindness uh in my life growing up and I, I mean I love it so um if i get a note or you know it's always nice to know that someone has read something of yours or even on a blog post and you just say you know that really affected me for the and you know just tell them let them know give them encouragement i think is very very important because you know we're we're writing in our own little space and (laughs) don't always have a lot of uh you know, encouragement. So I think that's very, very important. And I I do like to write notes. I I like to get them and I like to write them.
0: Yeah. I watch for times when, like, I try to be self aware when I'm about to give a pat answer that I'm thinking this is not going to be helpful, you know, like throw a Bible verse at somebody or say everything. It's all going to be okay. Don't worry. (laughs) Like as if I'm not validating how somebody really feels. So Right. That's a wake-up call for me to watch for where I'm saying those unhelpful things that tend to push people to the outside. It sounds like you're saying to people, I'm here for you.
1: Yeah.
0: And, you know, people will
1: take you up on that.
0: Yeah. So I love that one of the passions that I wanted to connect to the Life Repurpose book was rescuing people from human trafficking And so I've set up a page where I can give from the royalties of the book towards Destiny Rescue, and that is an organization that rescues young women, um, some adults, but mostly young children, and some boys and men, but mostly young girls rescuing them from human trafficking overseas. There is some ministry in the U.S. as well. So I love that you're connected to rescuing. There's so many organizations out there that are meeting that really important need of reaching out to people that are trafficked. So do you have an organization that you're really passionate about? Uh,
1: yes. Um, uh, there's a local local one here called Life 107. When I say here, I mean, Asheville, North Carolina. But also, I love Shared Hope. And that's mm-hmm. in. And they have so much on their website, as far as resources, if you want to learn about trafficking, you can even go to
0: my website and find out some information. Um, I'll link up to that too.
1: You know, with all these organizations coming up, um, you see this just still, there's so much work to do. People just are not aware of the real trafficking situation and that it's happening in their backyard. And so, um, yeah, and I love that. And I looked up the destiny and I'll be adding them to my resource page too.
0: Yeah, there can never be enough organizations because each one can only do so much. And so that's why I love that there's a big network and some are focused on the US and some are focused on certain countries overseas. In the US here, I'm hearing more and more stories of women who were disconnected from their biological families as young teenagers and were trafficked in some way or moved into a situation that led to trafficking. So that breaks my heart. And I love that you're wanting to focus on reaching out to young women.
1: Yeah, no, I love that. And I also like, you know, spreading the the news that, you know, we need to be aware of this because there's certain signs Uh, that you you can see. And if you you know what to look for, well, there's, you
0: know, toll-free hotline and, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: and you can maybe save a girl's life. I love your focus on watching for the signs and looking for where we can make a difference in somebody else's life. I'd like you to tell us about your book and about where we can find it. Um, Love's Bullet. It's on um, Amazon.
1: Let me read my tagline. Um, It's a wounded victim in a biker gang war transformed by God's love. So um, it's on Amazon. It's in an ebook. Um, You can also find it at Redemption Press and Barnes and Noble.
0: And your website
1: is? MaureenHager.com. And if you go in there, there's a lot of resources, some of the things we were talking about, and also um, all my connections to social media.
0: Yeah. So who did you write your book for? Who, is, who did you have in mind as you were writing Love's Bullet?
1: Well, um, really, the younger girls that I had encountered, not so much the women... That I I met through the gang because they're it's all a very very group of women. I didn't have them so much in mind um, as I did, you know, these like we were saying, these girls with low self esteem and they just were kind of didn't have a hope of a future. I think that's really hard when you just have no hope for your future and. That's what I was trying to reach out to those broken. Uh definitely the brokenhearted. Um in Psalm 147, 3. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. And that that's really my ministry verse. I love I love it and I know it's so true. And um, so that's really who I I wrote it for. Um broken women but although there are some men that have enjoyed it yeah
0: that verse perfectly sums up your story yeah yeah
1: and I mean there's other verses on brokenness but that one that
0: one gets me yeah I can see yeah so what would you leave with our listeners as a closing word of encouragement and hope
1: I consider myself a prisoner of hope (laughs) so that's what I would um encourage them. And let me read the, um, that uh, it's from Zach, Zachariah 912. And it says, return to the stronghold, you prisoners of hope. Even today, I declare that I will restore double to you.
0: Well, that's pretty good. I haven't thought about that term. So prisoner of hope. Prisoner of hope. What does that mean? Well to me
1: uh, it's you, I picture like a little box or a cell and I, you know you're inside there you kind of have that hedge of protection around you and you know that there's hope that you know we don't need to be hopeless. God didn't design us for that. And so you know whatever I have really practiced this over time, that whatever God throws our way
0: <laughs> or <laughs>
1: yeah, throws our way, um, we can remain in hope, you know, knowing who we are in Christ, um, and who he says he was, who he says we are, and don't believe the lies that I believe for so long, you know, that we really have a, a lot of hope in him. I mean, he's the God of hope. So I I I try to always have hope.
0: Yeah. So it sounds like you're setting up a barrier that hope is what um, despair can't permeate that barrier,
1: if I'm understanding. That's a good way to say it. So
0: it's like you're boxed in, but in a good way.
1: Yes. Yes. And having been having felt like a prisoner on the other side, I know it's very meaningful to me.
0: Yeah. Thank you so much, Maureen, for sharing your story with us today. Thank you, Michelle. It was great to talk with you. If you or someone that you know is in one of those vulnerable positions where they don't have the connections with other people, they don't know the direction their life's going to go, and they're looking for love and hope, they're in a vulnerable position. And so um, we want to direct you or that friend of yours to a place where you can find that hope. So I encourage you to go to the show notes at michellerayburncom slash 107 and I will have links to the organizations that we talked about in the interview and also to Maureen's website where you will find some of the things that she also provides in the mentoring that she does and the way that she helps people get connected with someone who will give them help. So that will be there in the show notes. I also encourage you to connect with us on the Life Repurposed Facebook community because that's where I like to have conversations with you as the listener. This is a one-sided thing when I'm sitting behind a microphone, but when we connect on social media, then I get to see your face and I get to know something about who you are. So just search for Life Repurpose Community on Facebook and you can join the group. I will be back in a week with another guest interview and so I'm looking forward to that. I hope you have a great week and I will see you next time. You've been listening to Life Repurposed with Michelle Rayburn. Check out tips, resources, and inspiration at michellerayburn.com. I'd love it if you would subscribe to the podcast on your favorite platform, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, iHeartRadio, or Spotify. I'd also love it if you would like, review, and share the information about this podcast with your friends. Thank you so much for listening.